So here we are uh, on our first Sunday of Advent. Um, some of you will know all about Advent. Some of you maybe have wired that into your sort of annual schedule and it's a big thing for you. Maybe others of you don't know what Advent is all about at all. Um, Advent is it's a time of reflection, a time of waiting, a time of expectancy. And of course, all those things are true of us all the time at various moments, but, but there's a sense of a special opportunity at this time of year. The word Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means, I'm, not, I'm no Latin scholar, but I, I googled it, and uh, it, it means uh, coming. The word means coming. And uh, this season is a season of the sort of Christian calendar when we intentionally turn our eyes and the posture of our lives uh, towards him who was coming and to him who is coming. There's a wonderful Canadian pastor, scholar called Daryl Johnson. And uh, listen to what he writes. He says, this season, Advent, sharpens for us the two defining horizons of our life in Jesus. Living in light of his first coming, when he lived as one of us, healed and taught us the way of shalom, was crucified for our sins and won the victory over evil and death. In light of his first coming and in light of his second coming, Johnson goes on, when he makes all things new, when he will wipe every tear from their eyes, Revelation 7, 17, end quote. And we live this morning, we find ourselves in this in-between time. Jesus has come, right? Praise the Lord. There is, it's right that we have a tone of celebration this morning. Jesus has come and he has opened the way for us to come home to God. For all of us who have wandered away, Jesus has come and has made it possible for us to come home to God. And yet the story is still unfolding. We, we do, if you believe the Bible, we do know, know what's coming with certainty. The outcome is sure and certain, but the story is even this morning being revealed before our eyes. And I love that. This incredible story that God has written from before the foundation of the world. He's, he's writing that in a sense. I mean, it's written, but it's unfolding before us. It's happening here in our midst. It's very beautiful. And my question this morning is, in this in-between time, what, what do you desire in this time? I mean, this season we're entering in our culture is really all about desire. Images will endlessly be dropped before us from every company under the sun with things for us to desire in these days. And it's not just about kind of how you should spend your money, but, but there's other philosophies that are, are, are impressed on us and, and laid before us about, you know, what kind of traditions you should pursue to have the perfect holiday season or, or how to decorate your home in the best way or what to eat or what to drink or what to watch or what games to play. You know, those things are all lovely. They're all great, but they are, they're passing realities. 
they're fragile at best. I mean, if we're honest, as we think about not just where we live, but as we think about the world in which we live, we have to acknowledge that that image of the sort of perfect holiday season is frankly unattainable for huge numbers of people around the world. But even if you had the relational or the financial means to chase after that which is sort of lifted up in these days, it's, it's passing if that's the end in itself. In this in-between time, don't make that the sum of your desires. Let us open our hearts. Let us open our eyes to much bigger things, to a much more glorious desire. In these days, God's word and God's people call us to lift our eyes to the wonder of what is before us. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some at the back. Please feel free to just get out of your seat. John, I'm sure, will be kind enough to pop those words. We're going to start John chapter 1, verse 1. When I say chapter, that's the big numbers in your Bible. When I say verse, that's the little numbers. John's about that far back. What's that? Eight-ninths back in your Bible? I don't know. Uh, so John chapter 1. Listen to how uh, God, through John, raises our eyes, lifts our eyes to the wonder of what is before us, the wonders of what, who God is and what God is doing. So in the beginning was the Word. Now we don't have time to get into why John uses this expression, the Word, but he's speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about here the always existing, authoritative, speaking, creating, powerful self-expression of God himself. In the beginning, this Word uh, was, was there. Was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made, including you, that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. What a way to open up the story of the coming of this God-man, Jesus Christ. I mean, we will in the coming weeks, quite rightly hear the story of the coming of Jesus shared in a number of different ways from the, the perspectives of the other gospel writers. We will likely engage with that story in all sorts of different ways. It will likely involve kids dressing up and at least one rogue donkey in the background picking his nose or picking a fight with one of the wise men or something like that that always steals the show. That's all good stuff, but let us not miss the wonder of what God is doing here in John's gospel, opening our eyes that we might wonder at this God. God's word and God's people call us to lift our eyes to the wonder of what is before us. We've looked at God's word, but dear friends, how in these days we have been taught by God's people do you know that in the church of Jesus Christ, you're always, you're always shepherding or sharing or guiding in some way? 
What are, you, what are you imparting to those around about you this morning? What are you, what are you teaching people how you, in terms of how you live your life? Well, we have been taught some beautiful things in these days by God's people. I just want to celebrate God's goodness and give him the glory for how he is using his people in this church to teach us so much. We, we must not miss this. In the people that we have been praying for, you know who they are. What an example they have been setting for us. <laughs> I started to name them in my notes. I thought, I'm going to name them here this morning. And then the list started getting too long. And then I started panicking, thinking, well, where do you draw the boundary of who you name and who you don't name? And I'm probably going to miss someone out. And then I'm probably going to get some emails about that. And then I'll probably forget to reply to the emails. And that's going to just be a disaster. So I'm not, I'm not listing any names here. But we have such rich blessing among us at the moment as we consider brothers and sisters who are walking through times of deep trial and difficulty. And yes, of course, they have their very real struggles. Of course they do. Yes, of course, no one's perfect. None of these people would claim to be. But we have brothers and sisters among us who are rooted firmly in the love of God and in the goodness of God. And they are teaching us. They are calling us to lift our eyes away from what is temporary, away from what is passing, to to see, to bask in, to grasp for ourselves by the power of the Spirit, these most incredible fundamental realities. We must not miss the lesson that they are sharing with us week by week. Even as we think about those who we've lost. Yesterday in this room, we celebrated God's goodness and work in and through the life of Caroline Goodfellow, and we welcome you, family members of Caroline, who are, who are here today. And we were reflecting on one of Caroline's blog posts where she said how the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 encapsulated her heart's desire for anyone who would look on at her journey. And I share this because this theme of us knowing the love of God, we're going to read the passage in a minute, knowing and being strengthened to know and to embrace and cherish the love of God. This is just a theme, I have to tell you, it's just coming up time and time again in our church, not least this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters in our church who are suffering just now are, are calling us to this, this prayer. Ephesians 3 verse 14 I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, it's a gift, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. The NIV adds that in there just to help us. And it says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Everything in our lives should flow from that. Everything should flow from that most fundamental reality. The large and small joys of quote-unquote normal life matter. They really do. I don't want you to hear me pouring scorn on the fun of the next few weeks. Not at all. God really cares about your plans for the coming weeks. I think he wants celebration. He wants fellowship. He wants joy to rise among us in our communities. But, but the point is this. Those things aren't the end. They're not the main thing. Any good thing that we enjoy in our lives come as an overflow, should come as an overflow of this wonderful cherishing of the reality of God's love. You see, when you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, I mean, it's just fascinating, right, the way Paul puts it, you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The point is, your brain can't contain it, right? So as you know that, it then spills out of your brain into acts of goodness and kindness that you can pursue, acts of love and joy that you can share with those around about you. When you are, as he says in Ephesians 3 there, when you're filled with all the fullness of God, as if any of us can be filled with all the fullness of God, I mean, that's almost blasphemy, right? But that's what Paul prays. And when that happens, our finite beings can't contain that, so it overflows who God is, what he's doing. It it spills out of our lives in acts of generosity and peace towards those around about us. Here's the thing. Don't miss the main thing. All the other good stuff comes as an overflow, but don't miss the main lesson that our brothers and sisters have been and are teaching us. God's word and God's people are calling us to lift our eyes in this Advent season, in this in-between time. What do you desire? Now, before we answer that question, there's a deeper reality, which is not a question we need to ask or answer, but there is good news that we need to hear and embrace. We're thinking about what do we desire? Well, I want to tell you, we know what God desires. We have to start there. What does God desire for us? Let's go back to John chapter 1, and let's read from verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first question is not what do we desire. The first question is what did God desire? And verse 14 makes it so plain. The word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not firstly about us 
coming to God. It is firstly about how God has come to us. That's what this verse is. God himself took on flesh, becoming a man, and he has, verse 14, he's dwelt among us. He has made his home with us. Some of you will know the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, God in Christ has moved into the neighborhood. He's come among us. This is a rich reality that John is sharing with us here. This word dwelt, John is using a very particular term here. Um, It's the word for tabernacle. Um, The tabernacle, it it says that the word became flesh and you could say tabernacled among us. So what on earth is a tabernacle? The tabernacle was that place established by God for his presence and his glory to dwell. The place to which God's people could go to meet with God. It was the place where God could be found. Now, what is incredible is when you look at the way that God required for the tabernacle to function, it tells us a lot about the wonder of this reality that Jesus came and, in a sense, tabernacled among us. So the word, if you want to turn back, you can. You probably don't need to, but Exodus chapter 25 is where the word tabernacle first shows up. And it shows up in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 25 where it says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So they're about to embark on making this tabernacle. And God says, this is no like light thing that you just figure out as you go along. I'm going to tell you how you do it, and you better follow it, right? And that's, that's Exodus chapter 25. And then in Exodus chapter 26, the instructions start. And they start with the curtains. And they start by talking about what type of material was to be used. Some of you are into that. You know, you're like, you like making things and you're interested to know that. I have absolutely no interest or knowledge of materials, but God cares about it. God wants to tell them what kind of material to be used. And he wants to tell them what color of material was to be used. And he wants to tell them how many curtains there should be. And he wants to tell them what images should be sewn into those curtains. And guess what? That's all in the first verse of Exodus chapter 26. And then for all of that chapter, this continues. And then you get some chapters about what should be in the tabernacle. And then you get some guidance about what the priests should wear in their service in the tabernacle and how those priests should be set aside for their service in the tabernacle. And then, you know, a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 35, the instructions begin again from verse 10, 
Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make what the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on in Exodus chapter 35. And then we get to Exodus chapter 36 and we get details about clasps, about more curtains, more frames, more pegs. And then this goes on in chapter 37 and chapter 38 and chapter 39 until eventually we get to the last chapter of the book of Exodus. And in the last paragraph, once we've heard how it was to be set up, how it was to be moved, eventually we get to this point in chapter 40, verse 34. It says, then, then, after all of that, detail, preparation, care, precision, instruction. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that's just Exodus. There's more guidelines in Numbers especially, but also Leviticus, as to how this is to function with God and his people. What is the point of that? It's to show, yes, there is a God. Yes, there is a God who wants you to know that you can come to him. Yes, there is a God who not only wants to know that you can come to him, but he wants you to come to him. Yes, there is a God who is accessible, but it's no small thing. That's no light reality. It's not to be taken glibly. It's not something you take or leave. We're talking here about God's presence I mean, it's incredible, right? After all those instructions of how this place is to function, Moses can't even enter because God's presence was so heavy. God's glory was there. Listen to the way God's glory is described. You remember? Um, the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So you got Jesus tabernacling, among us, so that we can see his glory. And we've just heard there that the glory filled the tabernacle. Listen to some other ways that God's glory is described, just at different points of, of, of the history of God's people. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Or 1 Kings chapter 8 and uh, verse 10 to 11. I'll just find it here. 1 Kings 8 verse 10. When the priests came out of the holy place, 
a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Or Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. You have cloud, you have consuming fire, you have people not being able to enter, you have people not being able to stand, people being forced to their knees, bowing down, their faces in the dirt. Why? Why is this the reaction? Well, Isaiah makes it plain for us in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, here's Isaiah's response to this reality, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, who of us here this morning cannot identify with the words of the prophet Isaiah? What is me? I, I am someone of unclean lips. I say wrong things. I do wrong things. And I dwell in the midst of other people who, like me, are struggling. Every one of us should be able to identify this word. Can you Can you have the same reaction as him? He knew that when he was in the presence of the perfect purity and goodness and glory of God, that he could not stand there confidently in his own strength because he knew he was messed up. He knew he needed help. What is me in light of this glory shining forth? What a day, right? What a beautiful day today. I drove here and the sun was just shining so bright. So lovely. And I, I, I put my visor down <laughs> so I wouldn't blame myself. I thought, why am I doing that? We don't get the sun so often. Let's look at the sun. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bask in the sun, right? So I've got a, a, a windscreen like half frozen uh, and, and the visor up and the sun blaring in my eyes. I, I, could, I could barely stand it. The sun kind of medium-sized star in a normal galaxy of billions. And I was like, can't take it. And we think we can just stroll into God's presence. Sometimes choose to come, sometimes not. If we're trusting in our own goodness to come to God, 
we're done for. Isaiah knew it. He's like, I can't handle this perfect glory and purity. I need help. And God is so kind to us, right? Because as amazing as this Old Testament tabernacle system was, as, as gracious as God was in providing it for a means to his, for his people to rest with him, God knew it wasn't sufficient. And listen to how God pointed to a new time through the prophet Ezekiel. So John, I wonder if you could put up Ezekiel chapter 37 from verse 23. Because listen to what is pointed forward here. They shall not defy them, defile themselves anymore. So picking up on the Isaiah 6 theme, right? There's struggle here, there's sin, frankly. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Hallelujah. You need cleansed today. You need forgiveness today. God's made a way. And this is what he's pointing to. Verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. Now, this is written some 400 years after King David's death. So he's not referring to the famous King David. He must be referring to some sort of descendant of King David, to some sort of shepherd of some sort. Verse 24, they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So now you have an everlasting prince, and you have this savior who is coming, an important son of David, a good shepherd, a prince, almost sounds like a prince of Peace. There's all this talk of dwelling there. And then listen, it goes on, verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And listen, will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. God is setting his sanctuary among his people. It seems now that they don't need to go go to God anymore. The point here is that God will one day come to them. Verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. You have God's dwelling place, his tabernacle, the place of God's presence, God's glory. And the prophet here is pointing to a wonderful time when God will make a new covenant, when he will establish his dwelling place in our midst. No longer us repeatedly having to journey towards God, but God coming to us. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. No longer us building something to get to God, but God's presence himself coming to us. And we have seen his glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth in Jesus. We're no longer done for when we behold the glory of God. In Jesus, we can see the glory of God. Through Jesus, we can behold and marvel at the glory of God and live in that reality. And because, how do we know this? Because verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, which is what we're turning to now as we come around this table. What is it that you desire this Advent season as we reflect upon Christ who has come and Christ who is coming again as we ponder all the various hopes and dreams that we might have. I mean, I don't know where you're at. Maybe some of you are buzzing about a great holiday time. Maybe some of you, your hope and your dream is just to get through these next few weeks. Dear friends, let us not miss the first call of Scripture and the first call of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are teaching us in these days. Know that God has come to us, that he has come to dwell among us, through his body given for us, through his blood shed for us, his grace upon grace, self-sacrifice, he has come and has invited us to come home to God. He's made it possible for us to come back into the arms of our Father. He's made it possible for us to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love to know the love of Christ, to be filled with the fullness of God. Do you desire that? If, as a church, that is not our first joy, our first priority, we're done for. And that does not mean us living in some sort of super spiritual bubble and, and we know that because Scripture teaches us that. I mean, one of the things, one of the first things that this word became flesh, Jesus did, was he went to a big party, a wedding. And, and we, we know that Scripture teaches us that, and we know that our, our brothers and sisters in Christ have been teaching us that. It's not about living in some super spiritual bubble, whether it's about the pursuit of fun and joy. I mean, how, how I have been instructed and blessed to see the relentless pursuit of fun that some of our church brothers and sisters have been going through in the midst of such pain, right? Whether it's, whether it's pursuit of joy and laughter or whether it's just the reality of needing to deal with the day-to-day challenges of life. It's not about living in some spiritual bubble, but the point is this. It's about what's at the center. What's at the root At the center is this great God, how he has come to us in his love to dwell among us and how he has done everything necessary through the cross, through his victory over death to invite us to rest with him. And he invites you again today. If you desire that, if you desire that above anything else, I want to invite and encourage you to come to the table this morning. 
Don't just come out of routine. Don't just come because you think you should. I want you to come if you desire to know the love of God, to rest in the love of God, to wonder at God's kindness and mercy. to rest with Jesus as he came to rest with us. As we come, it's an, it's, a, it's an acted symbol of us receiving again of his goodness. And I want to say that's not just for members of Hillview. This is for anyone who knows they need to rest with God. They need to dwell with Jesus They need to see his glory, to receive his grace upon grace. We take bread into our mouths and a little cup of juice into our bodies, remembering his body given and his blood shed, which makes all this possible. Apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we could not come and rest in the goodness, the presence, and the glory of God. But because Jesus has done what he's done, it's a perfect sacrifice, sufficient for all of us. So come, I I invite you, in fact, I plead with you, ask the Spirit of God, even now where you're sitting, help me want you more than anything else. Or even just a step back from that, God, let me feel your heart of love for me in this place. That verse says that you came and dwell among us so that we could see your glory. Help me know that in my heart. And then as we begin to feel that, we know that there's nothing more important than him. And then come, please come. Let's just take a moment of quiet. What's gonna happen is in in a couple of moments, uh, the band are just gonna start to play And we're just going to start to respond in worship. And uh, I'll stand here with a tray of bread and juice. And Michael, stand here if that's okay. And just when you're ready, come forward and receive. There's a gluten-free roll at the back if you need that. And uh, let's rest in God's goodness, in his kindness. Let's desire him above all else. Just a moment of quiet.